Hey, thanks for downloading our podcast, This House of Cards. This is a double episode review of chapters 18 and 19 in this show, House of Cards, season two. Poor little Cashew in this episode. Someone needs to get Cashew a spinoff with Gavin, of course. Don't forget, we're on Facebook under This House of Cards, and we're on iTunes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this House of Cards podcast, an official podcast about the Netflix hit show, House of Cards. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host... And coolest dude ever, Chris Eustead. I like how you added your own uh, second title there. That was pretty nice. What was it before when we did our other shows? Fartmaster? <laughs> yeah, I think it was Fartmaster because you farted during one episode or something like that. I don't remember what the details were. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I will never grow up. I... <laughs> How you doing today, Tyler? I'm doing pretty well. I am drinking, uh, this is funny, I'm drinking a Christmas ale that I got on discount from a grocery <laughs> store yesterday because it was out of season, so red and real classy. I feel nice. like I'm becoming progressively trashy as this season goes on. Dude, whenever uh, you saved a dollar probably, so that's good. A few, a few dollars. How a about few. you? What's, what are you drinking? Respect. Right mm-hmm. now, it's kind of boring, but I only got a, my water bottle here with some water in it. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to get a work in, workout in after this. Mm. Um, nice. I well, was supposed to play basketball, and I didn't. So A bummer, man. Well, hey, Sunday afternoon recording, you got time still. Yep. Um, well, without further ado, we want to jump into episode 18 pretty much immediately with a few quick uh, details we want to discuss. First of all being, this is going to be a double episode. We're going to start stapping, stacking, excuse me, stacking our episodes uh, you know, kind of, kind of doing little bundles of them in, by two, so that way we can, you know, those of you who have binge watched can get through them a little bit faster. We're going to do episode 18, and then um, we'll go into episode 19, and we'll let you know when we're going to go into episode 19 in case you're not that far, so that way you can hit stop or pause or whatever. Cool plan. Um, of course, we always appreciate you checking us out on Facebook.com slash This American, or sorry, This House of Cards podcast, and of <laughs> course on uh, iTunes at um, This House of Cards. Um, anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode 18. All right, this one will do it for Cashew. This one was excellent, pretty action-packed. Um, a lot of stuff I want to talk about. The first one being, we open with a... Oh, okay. First of all, I want to say, this episode very much reminded me from the episode in season one where Frank goes back to, um, what's his hometown again? Oh, yeah, the Daf- Gaffney. Gaffney, yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those trips where Frank is on the road. Um, but yes. I... Obviously, he's here at this um, Civil War re- reenactment place, which I thought was awesome. Um, I really liked the setting for this. Me um, too. So, let's talk about a few things that happen in the opening scene. Of course, we have our um, Chinese diplomat slash corrupt businessman, Mr. Feng, uh, getting having a bisexual three-way... Um, three-way bis- yeah, bisexual three-way auto-fixiation. Yeah, auto-fixiation going on, so that was a little bit of a... Um, <laughs> That was kinky. <laughs> yeah, we really dove into uh, the action yeah. right there. And, uh, you know, we know he has money immediately because he pays the, the prostitutes yeah. or whatever, $10,000. Um, yeah. It's funny, too, because the scene opens with that. Well, first of all, it's like, hello. <laughs> For sure. Here we are, right in the middle of a sex scene, because we don't get a lot of sex scenes um, in the show. I mean, we do, but they're not usually this graphic, I think. Um, 
you see a butt here or there, maybe. Well, I take it back. We saw. We did. Ha- we did last season between Frank and yeah. Zoe. There was one. But That's that what was, I was gonna say. Yeah. That was for editorial purposes, you know, not just gratuitous. I think, but right, right. This, um, I, I wonder if it'll come into play or not. Actually, I do know if it comes into play or not. But anyway, yeah, Xander, Xander Fang. We meet him in a really interesting way. Which at first, did you know where we were at? Did you know we were in Virginia? I, to to start off, I didn't. I mean, no, we're not when that was happening at first. I was wondering if like someone was getting killed or if we were going to see right. something um, th- with one of our main characters, with Claire, or Frank, or something. Well, not Frank. I didn't think that Frank would be involved in something like that. Actually, I didn't think it was Claire either. But I thought maybe it was going to be some politician that Frank was then going to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe Christine, the Christine and the president, or something like that. <laughs> um, so no, that was kind of a rude awakening, and then of course we transition from that scene immediately to kind of the civil reenactment scene, um, yeah. with Frank sitting in like a throne like like seat um, with all these kind of other people by him, and um, they're kind of putting on this whole show for him, uh, and then he gives his little soliloquy about a boring Confederate pride and how stupid that was, and how long you know the Confederates hung on to slavery when they you know. Yeah. When, Cost them so much freedom and autonomy and money and all this stuff when they could have just. <laughs> so he he despite I mean let's keep in mind, um, he's a Southern Democrat so this he's is a Southern. big part of his his roots, um, but I thought it was a good speech there too. Uh, I was I was about to ask you what you thought the significance of some of this stuff was, but I know that you have seen further on so I'm not going to ask you about the Fang thing because it does sound like it comes back into play, um, which I didn't know I just thought maybe it was showing that he's like a kind of sleazy rich, sle- rich sleazy playboy yeah um so i'm curious to see what happens there other thing i want to say is but this is a more of a thematic question for you setting this setting this episode in particular at the civil war reenactment what was the metaphoric reason for something like that hmm hmm i I did not think about that actually why we're why are we using this event for maybe just because it is such a traditional american um event that people recreate time and time again um i well and then also later on i think it's kind of a little significant because we see frank attached to his roots in a way that we don't really see um you know where he almost becomes human uh and not evil when we see him relate to the reenactor who plays his great 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 grandfather or however many greats it is so maybe maybe the significance was just to get him to open up about you know his past in a way mm-hmm. or try to find, look make him seem like he wants to connect to his past mm-hmm. which is kind of strange i don't know if he really wants to or not yeah. and later on we obviously learn that he uses it as a ploy anyway but i don't know what did you think you i, I hope you have a better answer than me mine was awful <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there was some interesting stuff I want to talk about as far as how he relates to his, the guy who played his great great grandfather. The way he almost treats him as if he was his great grandfather. Yeah, pretty hysterical. It was so weird. <laughs> um, but to add another layer to that, I was thinking of it like in terms of, you know, basically the Civil War being, uh, you know, two battling a civil war in general being two battling sides within a single country, and that's kind of what we see take place here between Tusk and. Um, mm, mm-hmm. And excuse me, between Tusk and Frank, and you even hear Frank talk about like Grant versus Robert E. Lee later when he's talking to Thing and stuff like that. So it's kind of, I mean, that's they make good. it very I dramatic. Like that. Yeah, you know, um, I think Frank fancies himself the Union in this fight, but yeah, kind of, you know, under the banner of the president, we see these two entities 
um, coming to a head that should, in t- in, you know, should be working together for the betterment of the country, but really are kind of going through a power struggle to see which side is going to come up on top. Um, right. Frank is very, very backhanded, like sneaky and backhanded in this whole episode. That like it was a little, it almost got a little bit hard to follow. So let's go through his storyline first, okay? Because I may need you to help fill some stuff in. Oh God, I probably won't be able me. to because I was trying to remember all this stuff too. It's really confusing. <laughs> so we start with you know, we find out Fang is worth more money than Tusk with this rare earth refinery, um, mm-hmm. and that him and Tusk are business partners. And that right. his family has deep ties to Mao and the party and kind of the reigning government of China. Now, Frank's suspicious of Tusk's involvement with this guy um, and is hoping to use their close relationship as a potential opportunity to loosen Tusk's grip on the president. Correct. Now, Frank meets with Fang. And they review a proposal for Fang to open a refinery with Tusk. Um, now, this refinery is in the United States, is that correct? Or I is it in it, China? I, I don't remember. Shoot. Now, I, that's not that important, I don't think. But the point is, Frank wants... I think it's in the U.S. It's in the U.S. Um, so, Frank wants to open this refinery with Tusk in the United mm-hmm. States. Now, we kind of get a hint that Frank is going to not make this easy for him to begin with. When he, he says something about how, you know, well, we have to allow the you know refinery to be open to outside bidders, at least for appearances, when... You know, this fang clearly is from a corrupt government where you just give contracts to your buddies. Whereas, right? He, you know, Frank's kind of saying, well, that's not how we necessarily do things here in the U.S. of A. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Frank and the president want the Chinese to help pay um, with this deal to build a bridge across the Long Island Sound. Uh, apparently, it's a passion project for the president. Now, China doesn't want the U.S. Okay, so this is the confusing part is with the the concert, the currency, exactly. Right, this is confusing. I don't think they were very clear on it, though, at all. So, from what I understand, as part of the agreement, um, Frank and the president were going to talk to, you, to the World Trade Organization about dropping the lawsuit they had proposed to the World Trade Organization against China for currency manipulation. Correct. But to Frank's surprise, the Fang basically says that they don't want the lawsuit dropped. Now they I, like it. I did not. I didn't. I couldn't follow why he was saying they liked it. Shoot. And now I can't really remember either. But they wanted it because it made them look stronger or something like that. Uh, standing up to the U.S. Or, I, I believe it, it helped them look stronger in, in their in their in the republic's eyes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it gave them it gave them uh, more weight in certain uh, political moves, right? Maybe it was you know maybe they were using it to like rally their own people against what they thought were unfair sanctions or something like that. I couldn't completely follow yeah. what the I, reason I, was, but the point is that it was the it was against Frank's expectation that they wanted to keep right. the lawsuit. So I don't even know if Frank fully understands why they want to get rid of it. Oh, excuse, excuse me. I wrote down that okay, China wants to be forced out of the World Trade Organization. So maybe, hmm. I don't know if that was completely true, but that's a note I took. I like I, I said maybe they do. Like maybe I think he was saying something about like not wanting to be bound to the laws of the World Trade Organization, and if they're kind of right. pushed out by a lawsuit, then they would have even more less restriction on some things. I don't know. Um, so Frank tells Fang that that's what's going to happen. 
but as soon as Feng walks out, he pretty much says, yeah, that's bullshit. We're not going to do that at all with his, his uh, Gaffney diplomacy, which is shake with your right hand but hold a rock in your left hand. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> which sounds pretty country, if you ask me. <laughs> so... Frank knows this would be a good thing for Tusk if the you know if the lawsuit is not dropped or he he has a feeling that this would be in Tusk positive for Tusk obviously he doesn't want anything good for Tusk to happen so he right. wants Stamper to help leak that the lawsuit will be dropped right and that it's going to throw the summit in Washington into chaos it's going to piss off Fang it's going to piss off Tusk it's going to piss off the president all this stuff right so right so exactly. Stamper feeds to our press secretary Connor that uh, they're going to drop it. And, of course, he leaks it. And Fang is being accused of the leak. And he calls Tusk. And so now we kind of have the premise of this episode, which is Tusk on the phone with the president in one ear and, and Frank, Frank on the on phone the with the other, which is ongoing through all the season. It's kind of getting yeah. irritating listening to these three, three-way calls all the time. <laughs> yep. Um. <laughs> So but it's it's playing right into what Frank wanted wants to happen. He wants tension between Tusk and the president, and so far he's getting that through getting Fang pissed at Tusk. Exactly, and then, and then the lawsuit being potentially dropped or leaked that it's going to be dropped pisses off the president too. Right, and so throughout obviously this process, they weave in these moments in the Civil War reenactment. I think to kind of reinforce this. Civil War yeah. amongst Tusk and, and Frank. Um, so we have Frank on a tour of the battlefield, and that's when he meets his great-great-grandfather, whoever it was, who had his head bashed in with a rock. Who had yeah. his head bashed in with a rock, I, which is kind of funny considering that he just funny. talked about Gaffney diplomacy. Right. Um, he had his head bashed in after a rock, <laughs> with a rock after biting a Yankee soldier or something like that. <laughs> something weird, yeah. <laughs> so his, <laughs> kind of interesting, too, that his ancestor was a confederate. Mm-hmm. But he wants to stop and hear the details. And we do kind of see this weird intimacy with, like, Frank wanting to know his roots. Yeah, um, I found this kind of bizarre. What's kind of funny is we kind of learn that Frank didn't necessarily have, like, you know, white-collar royal no. roots. You know, his family was a family of scrappers that were soldiers in the army <laughs> biting people and getting their heads bashed in with rocks. Exactly. That I mean, that's probably exactly why they had his great-great-great-great-grandfather die that way for the story to illustrate that point and we i mean we had heard previous episode in the previous episode when claire's interviewed about you know did frank marry your family for your money Mm -hmm. so so we knew he wasn't a rich guy but yeah he's a scrappy family guy too yeah well comes from a scrappy family yeah he's a master manipulator and that's how he's gotten to where he is right so uh, frank sends stamper then to go meet in secret with fang and we have a really like interesting scene here where Feng taunts Stamper with this expensive alcohol. Mm. Like, he says how expensive it is and then, like, says, you're an alcoholic, aren't you? And he holds it in front of him. And Stamper, like, doesn't have very good self-control about that. Like, he has to knock... I mean, well, he doesn't say he knocks it across the room, but he doesn't, like... He's not as cool and collected as Stamper normally is. In fact, in these both these couple episodes, we see kind of moments of weakness from Stamper, which may be hinting at something to come. Yeah, he's starting to break. Mm Mm-hmm. So Feng says there will be no bridge unless the lawsuit is reintroduced. And that if the if Frank refuses to cooperate, he will simply bypass him, which is obviously hinting that he's going to go to Tusk and have him manipulate the president. Yep. But Frank knows that the lack of the bridge project is going to really upset President 
Garrett because this is mm. his passion project. So he's okay with not letting that happen. Um, he just wants the president to blame Tusk for it. Yeah. So the president and Tusk are on the phone with Frank. Again, we have one of these, another one of these three-way calls. Tusk says he had private convos with Fang. And Frank tries to accuse Fang of deception and also Tusk of having back, you know, behind-the-scenes conversations when he's not a real diplomat. Um, and then per- the president says that neither one of them is supposed to talk to Fang anymore. Um, I think this is also really interesting because during this time we know that there's another summit in Washington, but it's like what they – I think Frank says at the very beginning is like the summit in Washington is meaningless. The real summit is here between Frank and Fang at this civil war reenactment because like no one yeah. knows Fang's there. So it's right. – you got to wonder too like in real politics how often like – you know. Stuff is just for show for the public, and you have like secret meetings like this behind the scenes. So Frank, of course, meets with Thing despite the president's orders, um, and he in a really kind of clever way where he goes to the Civil War camp cookout to meet with I like this, this guy yeah. who to meet with Augustus or whoever you know, basically his fake ancestor, and yeah. wants to see the place where his ancestor died. And lo and behold, who's meeting waiting for him at the scene where his place where his ancestor died, but Mr. Thing. Did you what did you think there was any symbolism behind that meeting at that spot? Mhm. Um I'm sure there is. You know, he's standing on the grave of his ancestors doing something that he promised the president of the United States he wouldn't do. Total backdoor uh back channel manipulation again, him doing what he what he's doing right where I I'm assuming that's really where he died. Mm-hmm. Um but also it's kind of spitting on the grave of <laughs> his uh ancestors so maybe he really didn't care about who uh who who where he came from he only cares about where he's going what do you think i think that's definitely a good interpretation and to add kind of another dimension to that i think it's in some ways a juxtaposition of where his family came from to where they are now you know mm-hmm. his little his little mm-hmm. scrapper ancestor get bites a guy in the face and gets beat to death with a rock and now frank is standing on his grave as pres- vice president of the, the united president. states yeah. def- defying the president to discuss national negotiations uh, yeah. and basically slap the entire country of China in the face. So yeah, it's, that's you know, a really good juxtaposition. <laughs> it I is. Like it's an excellent one. Standing on his ancestors is great. So Frank tells Fang that, they're, that the American government is not Tusk's puppet and that and Fang says the bridge project is dead. And once again, Frank doesn't seem to care too much about it. Yep. And we have He's a lot like, of kind right. of um, historical allegory here where they have a lot of good dialogue, and I only wrote it down a few lines of it, but... Um, Frank's saying something about how Grant he, he asks Fang, how did Grant General Grant be General Lee? And he, he tells Fang, it was butchery, not strategy. It was just that he had more money and more people. It had nothing to do with any any <coughs> like, you know general war plan or anything. And then you know, they're all speaking in these like philosophical anecdotes the whole time where Feng then says something like there's no sacred ground for the conquered. And I th- I just I thought it was a really good exchange between the two. It was. <laughs> It was fun. It was fun, and it it, it was great because also it was set by the mood of the darkness and the woods. It was pretty fun. And you had kind of that spirit of the Civil War hanging over it all and everything. Right. So I have a question for you about this. Do you think that Fang has presented himself as a worthy adversary uh, for Frank? No. Um, I guess <laughs> I... I, I I don't. You watch this show, don't you? <laughs> I think that he's clearly a savvy businessman, but it sounds like he has... Well, first of all, he has a weakness that we see immediately in this first time we see him. And we know that Frank is going to find and exploit anyone who has a weakness like that. Look what he did to right. 
um, everybody, but particularly Russo. You know, look what he he's done to everybody. If he if they have a weakness, he'll rat it out and he'll get like he'll pin them for it. So I have no doubt the same thing's going to happen to Feng at some point in time coming up here. Yeah. Um. When you saw this exchange, I know you knew where things were going. But when you first watched this, do you feel like Fang was finally a worthy adversary, or were you skeptical? No, not really. Yeah. I thought I, at first I was like, okay, maybe it's going to be this tough, you know, Chinese businessman that Frank's really going to have to deal with because he has so much money. But then when we start seeing Fang kind of stress out and get freaked out because his. Uh, strings are being pulled in ways that he doesn't like he he looks a lot weaker yeah so i didn't think so i mean he's he's kind of he's a tough rich guy and you know obviously i think he's because he's affiliated with tusk we're gonna see him around a lot <laughs> but i don't see him as being able to take frank down not at all but i mean that's the chronic problem of this show is we have yet to see someone who seems worthy yep so tusk then accuses frank of meeting fang secretly and then frank pretty much accuses Tusk of talking to Fang when he wasn't supposed to, so they both have defied the president. Tusk yes. and Frank are pulling on each ear of the president again. The president chastises them both, kind of getting pissed at both of them. Both says, of them. That was great. It's like, come, there you go, president. Step up. Tell except, them to knock it off. Except that ultimately Frank's the winner from what ends up happening, because the president exactly. says, screw you both, I'm going to pull out of the summit. And you both disappointed me greatly. And then he hangs up on them, and then Tusk says something like, Sander, like a really whiny voice, like, that's the first time he's hung up on me in 20 years I've known him. Which is, I mean, pretty humorous, but obviously it was to Frank's advantage that uh, they pull out of the summit, the Chinese don't get their refinery, and that the bridge doesn't get, I mean... Bridge isn't happening. Because it's going to piss off the president at Tusk. Yep. That wedge is successfully placed in there. Now Frank is just going to keep hammering it in between Tusk and the president. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the you know Frank's part of this episode ends with him, you know, breaking hollowed ground. He calls out his ancestor to come dig in the yeah, like that, that kind of plot of land there. And then he buries he buries his ring there. So maybe there is some emotional connection that he has. What do you think? Here's what I think is that okay, he, maybe this is. I assume this was some kind of family ring or something like that. And like he's, I, I saw it as kind of like him sh- sh- shedding the sorry past of his ancestors you know like Mm -hmm. burying the last piece of what was what they were before because now he's like he is solely responsible for having forged this whole new future for him from a family of not poor but just like middle class scrappers to where he is today what do you think yeah yeah that i think that sounds right um i do have a better idea of why because of later (laughs) oh okay but but it does come back in a way so hmm okay remember it We'll remember it. For now, I guess we'll just do symbolic interpretation. So that's pretty much yeah. Frank's trajectory in this episode. Now we have a li- we get a little bit of Lucas. Um, he's of course still working with Gavin the hacker and Cashew the hamster and Cashew the hamster or the guinea pig. Or guinea pig. <laughs> and Gavin is having Lucas practice planting the chip into his computer system. Yep. Um, but you know, there it's getting to the point where it's go time on the plan. Um, but Gavin seems to be the one who's holding the plan up, not Lucas. Yeah, and they Lucas get into wants fi- to do it, right? And they kind of get into a fight about like journalists versus hackers, who's doing more for yeah uh, the the public good, which is an interesting question to raise when you think of you know WikiLeaks versus the New York Times and stuff. Um, Absolutely, but a lot of times you know hackers and journalists work in conjunction. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think of it specifically of that kind of stuff, or even you know Snowden and yeah, Washington Post, yeah, you know, all so. But you know they kind of do serve. 
similar functions, and I think that they need each other to, in a lot of ways, be kind of the you know expose truth. You know, they they feed on each other to help expose truth. But interesting that they kind of bring. I think that was a, a cool thing to bring up. Now, of course, we realize that it seems like Gavin is almost trying to warn Lucas to like back out and not do it. It um, seemed like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's trying to say, like, he's, he doesn't want the same thing to happen to Lucas that happened to him, basically, where he's, like, you know, stuck in, in this... Debt. Yeah, indebted to the F- FBI or CIA or whatever for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lucas just gets pissed off, doesn't take him up or, you know, listen to him much or, or even clue into anything. Lucas has just been so blinded to everything. It's not a surprise at all. Um, so the FBI come and talk to Gavin, and we see this part where he starts crushing cashew under his feet i was that was so stressful <laughs> that was really stressful i was i was i was really afraid he was going to crush him yeah that was uh but obviously it was just a way to dehumanize gavin cuz you know yeah he he tells him how he's a, you know gavin's his pet and then gavin starts like barking at him and freaking out yeah. a little bit yeah that was Which, awkward it was awkward but i thought it was a well acted scene by the actor who plays <laughs> gavin yeah, he's good. He's mm-hmm. he's doing a, he's doing a good job. So basically, the FBI, CIA say, "Okay, Gavin, it's time to fuck over Lucas. We need to go ahead and do this now." Yeah. So, FBI comes, or sorry, Lucas meets Gavin at a bar where he passes the chip to Lucas as the FBI is watching from across the room. Right. Uh, Gavin's nervous and almost blows it, but Lucas just is once again blinded to all the red flags and attributed yeah. to just like nerves. He's such an idiot tunnel vision man he Mm -hmm. like gavin is sending him every signal possible that he shouldn't do this Mm -hmm. he gave him as much warning as could possibly be given so the house of cards really hates their journalists uh, none of them are competent (laughs) well i'm hoping janine is going to come back and get better but uh, we'll see what happens but anyway so of course this episode ends with lucas going to the government facility like an Sting. idiot going into the server room and like trying to be sneaky and plug the chip in behind his back and immediately getting arrested by the FBI. Yep. How he didn't see that coming, like you said, epic epic tunnel vision. And um, kind of the ending and, that he, or at least, well, I think we're gonna, we'll see more of him. But In prison. <laughs> he, he was an idiot about this whole thing. And if he really yeah. wanted to approach it like a skilled, smart journalist, there's... So much more he could have done. He was just a... He shouldn't have taken on, like, a project like this when he was in such grief that would, you know, make him so blinded to everything. Yep. So, kind of... I mean, obviously, pretty obvious that's where things were going. So, let's wrap up with the last storyline. Probably the most interesting storyline. Once again, it's Claire's storyline in this episode. Now, Claire believes that... She's having a conversation with Connor at the beginning of the episode... She believes people are going to move on from the whole, you know, rape-abortion conversation she had at the, um, the in the interview. Connor, on the other hand, is not so sure. Um, he's, like, questioning Claire about if there's any trace of anything, if the doctor's still alive or anything. And Claire says, yep. nope, there's nothing. You have nothing to worry about. Connor still wants to get ahead of it, but Claire doesn't want any exposure from him doing any hunting. So he kind of seems to acquiesce in the end. As we know, this comes back to kind of bite Connor in the ass a little bit. So Claire has drinks. In the meantime, Claire is having drinks with the um, with a congresswoman that she's sponsoring a bill with to uh, have basically higher or civilian oversight of sexual assault cases in the military, which is a very current argument uh, in Congress right, right now. 
once again, you know, we have House of Cards really nailing the super, super relevant issues. Yeah, this, and they, it's the exact same thing too. Civilian oversight is wanted from some people, and a lot of other people say no, that won't work because then you ruin the chain of command. Ex- the exact argument they have on this issue. Yeah, so they basically kind of. She seems a little bit unwilling at first, but they kind of rope the first lady of the United States into joining their cause. Right. And I thought that they had a really kind of um, awesome kind of scene here where they're meeting with the generals. Yeah. And and they very strategically, like, you know, they're basically saying there's nothing we can do. And they very strategically plan it so that way the first lady walks Walks in in. late. And so So it's like a shock to the generals. (laughs) That it was a very a very frank thing to do, and I mean, once yeah. again, you gotta love how Claire and Frank are parallels in their manu- you know manipula way to oh, manipulate yeah. their ability to manipulate people, and it's almost like the I felt like the Talk. generals started to like collapse immediately. Um, so I'm inter- I'm really interested to see if this civilian oversight thing. I, I mean, it's only it's gotta have to going to have to continue. So I'm curious where things are going. Yeah, that. I I mean, I think at this point we're introduced to Claire's cause that she's going to take up. Now that she's not doing the Clean Water Initiative anymore, as exactly. first lady, this is her new kind of thing yep. for this episode. Which I think is, I like this issue a lot more than the Clean Water thing, because we didn't really understand why she was involved with that or what she was doing. Yeah. Whereas this, it like, obviously it makes very clear sense why this is her passion project. Right. And it is a lot more relevant. And so I think that it is a lot more interesting as far as kind of it being her thing she's doing. And it's also more intertwined with the office and with the first lady and all this different stuff. So it's not so much um, separate from Frank's life and all that kind of thing. So I really like that. Now, of course, the other part of this is that some so this guy named um, Seth Grayson yeah. tracks down the dead doctors, the the doctor the who widow. performed Claire's abortions, widow, and he's like pretending to be someone he's not to do some fake endowment in her husband's name, but he ends up just interrogating her about who he did his secret abortions on and everything. Um, did you, when you saw this guy acting, who did you think he was working for initially when you first saw him? At first, I thought he was someone that was coming after Claire and Frank, or at least I was hoping that someone was, you know, he was working for someone like Tusk who was trying to take Claire and Frank down. But I, I, I did not see him as kind of an independent contractor trying to get a job (laughs) not at all i thought that this was you know maybe someone fang had hired or maybe someone yeah um that tea party congressman or or Mm -hmm. senator had hired or something along those lines so yeah it was really surprising to then find out as we do that um he was on his own well so first of all this guy finds a notebook that of course the doctor happened to that she keeps (laughs) the doctor happened to keep a notebook of all his illegal abortions which she then keeps in her library in her living room (laughs) yeah that was weird uh, it's a little too convenient, let's say, but hey. So this Grayson guy, we find out. Um, if, well, I also thought maybe potentially this guy was working for Connor, trying to. So maybe it was a positive thing, like they Claire oh, Connor had yeah. hired him to kind of like figure out if there was anything left and get tie rid up of all it. the loose ends. Yeah, but like you say, he is a independent actor, and he goes to meet with Claire and brings the journal and basically says that he wants Connor's job as PR director and that Connor is a yeah. shitty 
PR guy, and he should have been way ahead of this. But look at him. He, he's got this journal. Uh, obviously, very shady way to come forward just like uh, with this notebook being like his resume. Also kind of, I mean, kind of in line with Frank and stuff like that. But it also makes you think that this guy is very crafty and has the power Not to, to be trusted. Not at all. Um, also, you feel a little bit bad for Connor because he had yeah. wanted to continue pursuing this. And Claire was kind of the one that told him not to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Connor's not in the wrong here. He just isn't as deceitful and maybe evil-minded as Seth is. But well, yeah, Seth's which, which again, job. Which, but again, makes Seth more similar to Perfect Frank for and Claire and Frank, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe willing to do a little bit um, more dirty things than, uh, than others. Connor would, yeah. And so he has this whole plan that Claire, basically Connor will stay as Claire's PR person. He will be hired on as Frank's main PR person, and then he'll just make Connor's life hell, so that way Connor's forced out. So... It's yep. not as if Connor, you know, leaves pissed off fired. and rats out everything he knows. Right. So Frank and Claire obviously end this episode kind of with a discussion about Seth. And they say that the only way to, you know, Frank has an interesting point here, which I think is kind of a insight into his worldview. And he says, you know, the only way to control him is to take up his offer. He would rather have, he would rather manage someone he doesn't trust than manage someone who's basically incompetent or reckless. So I think, right. I mean... An interesting point, but I think that, you know, he feels like he can he can understand somebody, I think, like Grayson, more than someone who's just incompetent like he thinks Connor is, even if mm-hmm. we don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought that that was a really interesting twist. And yeah. this guy could, I don't know, this Grayson dude could be some kind of X Factor. I'm not really sure where it's going, but I thought this was a really excellent episode. Um, I really yeah, I enjoyed. It. I really enjoyed the Civil War setting. I liked where that stuff went. And okay, I, I Lucas was an idiot, but I liked that um, Gavin's acting throughout all this. Yeah, and I, I would say the one thing that I didn't really like is just how complicated they made the interchanges between Tusk, Feng, the President, and. Frank, as far as like following what exactly everyone's yeah. motives were and stuff like What's that. What's with the bridge here? What's with this currency manipulation? It was very, very dense and hard to follow, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, and kind of summing things up, um, I think I'm going to give this episode a three and a half. I mean, I did really like the. I don't know. So I mean, but once again, a lot of exciting stuff. I'm excited to see where a lot of it goes. Do you have any other any final kind of no, questions think- or anything? No, I think, I mean, the the questions I had, I kind of asked you along the way, but there are certain things that obviously we'll need to remember and they're going to continue, like Claire's commitment to this uh, rape in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the, the dynamic between Fang and the president, I'm sorry, Tusk and the president and Frank is uh, evolving mm-hmm. in, in, in into what seems to be Frank's benefit in Frank's favor. Yeah. Uh, but I w- I agree. I would give three and a half. Yeah. Okay. So that's a solid seven. So probably the lowest rating we've given an episode so far. And it's really just been right. because the episodes of the season have been really strong so far. And not that this one was particularly weak, but I do think that we both were a little put off by how complicated all those phone yeah. calls and all the like arguments were about what exactly was going on. <laughs> And also, just how easily Lucas got caught after all. <laughs> what a pathetic opponent. I, that annoyed me. That was that was a big reason why I 
took off. I mean, I, I like you said, I like seeing Gavin. He's he's a fun character, but Lucas just he went from kind of being more competent last season and uh, to just a dummy. This one blinded by like revenge for the death of his love, or I don't know why. My hope is with this, we see the last of Lucas, but we see more of Gavin. Mm, mm-hmm. That'd be cool. <laughs> Maybe that's not the case. You don't have to say anything more. All right, folks. Well, that's our uh, review of episode 18. Thanks for joining us with that. Um, in a second here, we're going to start off uh, episode 19. So if you are not that far, then go ahead and pause or stop your audio file now. All right, without further ado, let's kick <laughs> off House of Cards episode 19. Okay, Woo. so this so episode... I'm water. What are you drinking? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so talk about this um, opening scene with Rachel just being super hot in the house. Um, she's sucking on ice, putting it on her neck. She's sitting in front of the air conditioning. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of questions about what's going on. Of course, we find out immediately that there's an energy crisis. Yep. But my first impression is, like, why else would someone be... I wasn't thinking about that when I first saw this. And I was thinking, hmm... Maybe she's pregnant. So that was my oh. immediate first thought. <laughs> I did not think that. But no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was just uh, one the, the sexiest way they could show us that um, there is an energy crisis happening. But also reminding us that Rachel's still around. <laughs> yeah. Which, and she does play, obviously, a pretty big part in this episode. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about her first and foremost. So there's an energy crisis going on. Um, Rachel's suffering in her location in Baltimore. Um, she's still working at the church. Uh, we see her working with children and really seem, really seeming to be happy and connected to yeah. the children and have made a good friend. Um, I think that there's something probably to it about her after kind of her dark past connecting with the innocence of these young kids. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so she seems to be doing really well, um, finally, which, you know, even when she was kind of waiting tables and stuff, that still seemed a little bit tumultuous. But this really seems like she is settled into a happy existence. But, of course, we know this isn't going to last forever. As we see Stamper pull something really creepy when she walks out of the church with her friend to, like, Stamper all of a sudden turning his brights on them. So uh, weird. It's like, wait, dude, you could be way less obvious. Yeah, and way to be real subtle when he's, like, chastising her for, like, anyone you tell or anybody who knows could be on to something. Well, it's now, of course, you know, like, Rachel's good friend isn't going to be asking questions after something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, some creepy noir movie. So awkward. And I just want to say, I feel like Stamper's kind of losing his cool, calm edge. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last episode, too. Yeah. But he, he doesn't seem to be, I mean... We see him and his like poor interactions with Fang. He doesn't seem to be uh, as, not as savvy, collected. not mm-hmm. as collected, not as savvy as he kind of has right. been. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, I think, as we've mentioned before, I think he has some complicated feelings for Rachel. Not sure if they're exactly paternal or if they're, you know, sexual or both or, or what. Both. You know, he's he's very. I think he's very conflicted about his role, but he does ultimately want to just be a protector for her. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's protecting his boss, Frank, but he's also really looking out for uh, for Rachel. Um, and as we've seen, he does not like it when she makes friendships and bonds with people. So he's obviously not thrilled about that happening, and he doesn't want to have to move her again. And he's, I think, coming to terms, or not coming to terms with, but realizing how difficult it is to try to control someone's life uh, when you're trying to hide them from everyone and everything. 
so it doesn't mm-hmm. cr- your whole world doesn't crumble around. What do you think? I think that's definitely the case. He's having conflicted feelings. Maybe he's even a little bit jealous of her other relationships, or mm-hmm. likes the fact that he is the sole her like sole contact of the world. Um, both of which are like pretty make him a little bit of a shittier person than maybe we thought he once was. Right. Um, the other thing is Frank's putting a lot of stuff on his plate too. So Doug Stamper, I'm imagining, is not getting a lot of sleep these days. Well, I mean, let's think what happens. You know, your president, your boss, formerly a congressman. Becomes, you know, <coughs> VP, your responsibility is naturally going to go up. I kind of hope that Stamper got a raise when Frank got yeah. VP, but who knows? Maybe Frank's trying to, trying to uh, keep budgets low or something like that. Right. Well, with Seth on board now, too. <laughs> yeah, he's got to hire an extra PR dude, so we'll see what happens there. Um, anyway, so, you know, Rachel is very upset, can't live like this, all this stuff. Uh, again, I think... He he's talking to her and tells her about Lucas um, getting arrested, and she's like, "Oh, does this mean I can go free?" And he pretty much just like, "No, not at all. This doesn't mean anything new for you." So it's kind of like, "Well, why did you? Now you're just fucking with her because she's yeah. all excited for a second. Um, but then we have this moment where she starts to undress him. Yeah, and he, like, basically, he's like, he, you could tell that he was kind of into it, and then she pulls. Did he pulls away? She pulls away? I think, I think she, he pushes her or something. Away. Yeah, he like it's kind of like the same thing he did with the alcohol, right? Last episode, like he's yeah. tempted by these things. He's tempted by the alcohol. He's tempted by her seducing right. him, but he pushes her away. And then she says, "You know, there's one thing I know. It's when a man wants me." And then she tells him this biblical story of that she learned at church of this character Rachel in the Bible, who was mother mm-hmm. of King Joseph. Um, so I was I did not understand the significance of her telling this story. I this kind of made me this is what part, partly made me like perpetuate the idea that maybe she was pregnant because I was like is she pregnant with Stamper's baby? Is she saying that she's going to give, have a son who's like going to be king of everything? I don't know. I didn't think that was really it, but like I wasn't it was, sure what yeah. the point was. Maybe maybe it's just to show that she's you know obviously really attaching uh, to this this little Bible school thing that she has going on and. She's so malleable because she wants something to connect with that she's commits and throws herself into whatever she's around because she has nothing else. So right. she's learning the Bible, and here's a story she learned, and that's her only anecdote because that's the only thing she's exposed to. I think that's definitely a possibility, but it almost seemed like she was empowered when she was saying this. Like after kind of having him, throwing him off guard and kind of put, you know, taking away some of his power by making him like, by taunting him with her sexuality. It was like, she was saying that story as if it was in some way supposed to show. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to show the strength that she's found through the church. Maybe you're right in that sense. Um, not entirely sure. So interested where that's I'll going. I'll go back and watch that. Yeah. But I can't help but wonder after this episode, if it's like, it makes me wonder about the future relationship between the two of them. And maybe, I can't help but feel like Rachel's time is coming to a close, especially as you know people continue looking for Rachel, whether it's Janine or Tom or Lucas. And maybe Frank is going to kill Rachel, and maybe this could send a, um, some cause some sort of rift between him and Stamper. So, because yeah. Stamper's been nothing but loyal up until, I mean, to, to to this point, yeah. And he's never been involved in the murders themselves, and he is right. clearly. Intent, you know, he clearly has feelings for Rachel, so that would it both, like we said, paternal and potentially sexual. So that would really upset him. I feel like, yeah. So I could see that being somewhere it could go. Now, uh, Claire, 
Claire's working with, of course, the First Lady to implement this new military oversight for sexual assaults, like we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, when Claire starts talking trash about Christina, yeah. and like she says something about, like, well, I don't really have, you know, good... I don't really trust women who sleep with their bosses or something like that. Of course, talking about Christina and Russo and clearly trying to plant in the mind of the First Lady that maybe Christina is trying to seduce the president. Right. I was not entirely sure what Claire's endgame with this was because if I remember correctly, it was Stamper and Frank who got Christina placed in the president's uh, in the president's care in the first place. So exactly. Did yeah, you understand but... what – was this just something petty on Claire's part or is there a greater master plan? You know, there it could play into something that happens later on, but it doesn't. I mean, I don't understand. There's no hint of the motivation at this point of why she would do this, um, especially mm-hmm. like you said, because Christina got placed there uh, thanks to Frank and Stamper, and and the first lady president loves um, Christina. She's one of the best aides, and the um, and Christina loves her job. She's good at it. she and. Obviously, we know she, she wasn't just sleeping with Russo, her boss. She, they were, like, together and dating, and she loved him. They were in love. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, yeah, Claire's I think Cla- Claire's just – at this point, there's it's hard to tell. It's, it's, it seems like Claire's just being petty. Um, well, and especially because Christina's been, Christina's been very loyal to Frank, to Frank and yeah. Claire, considering that, like, Lucas tried to come and extract more information from her, and she didn't want anything to do with it. So, really, she's yep. kind of a – she's no longer a loose end, I feel like. You know, Rachel's, Rachel's much more of a loose end than – Christina, Christina is. So I didn't is. understand what she what Claire's end game was here. Yeah. Um, but we even see Claire taking it a step further, meeting with Christina, uh, telling Christina to like go talk to the first lady and and basically like be really pushy about like doing anything. Basically, kind of acting weird to the first lady to the point that the first lady is going to wonder more about like what's Christina doing with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, it just it. Yeah, it kind of lost on me. We do see that happen, and we see Mrs. Walker get a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, I do want to put, point out that just as the president seems like kind of a dummy, this first lady is a dummy as well. Like, it it blows my mind that, that, uh, that you know, do you think Michelle Obama is easily that tricked into uh, thinking her aide might be sleeping with Barack? Probably not. You know, I would hope not. Yeah, yeah. This 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 first lady is she's so gullible and easily manipulated too, as is the president. It it just it, I find it so frustrating and annoying. If you watch again, I'm going to compare it to this, but the show Scandal, which is also a president and his wife, the first lady is extremely competent, whip smart, and very manipulative too. They have to be. They're they've been in politicians uh, politics their whole life, just as the president and this first lady is so it it really annoys me that claire can so easily plant that seed into the first lady's mind when the first lady should be a lot smarter than that mr and mrs walker are essentially just puppets of mr and mrs underwood (laughs) yeah it pisses me off it really does i I hate that like seriously even the president and the first lady aren't going to step up to the vice president and the and the second lady it didn't. Yeah, I just don't understand what's going on there. And obviously, maybe it's to show how easily manipulated the second lady is too, or the sorry, the first lady is too by the second lady. I don't know, but um, so that's kind of that's kind of all we it. really see of Claire this episode. And it was just it just was not clear to me what what she's yeah. going for there. So, like you said, I mean, I guess we'll see later what um, comes of that. Right now, on Frank's part, which is kind of the prime storyline here, 
Um, we're back. Uh, you know, we're back to this whole China test <laughs> thing. Frank wants to hit China with an offensive, uh, not like a military offensive, but like a diplomatic offensive, because they're withholding sumerium which is some kind of energy power once again this is was all very confusing um, right. i'm hoping i'm hoping that your environmental uh, background can maybe <laughs> shed some light on this a little bit for me um anyway so frank wants the president of the united states to go through it they're you know they're having a big board meeting with the secretary of state all these people frank's trying to convince the president to go through a third party around china to buy the sumerium so that way china will basically uh still be giving us the sumerium but but they'll be giving it through, I think, India or something, right? Yes, through some other channel, basically. And this would upset, obviously, Tusk and Fang and all these guys. Uh, now, I kind of tied these two, the, a few of these storylines together, um, which is the okay. Frank storyline, the Lucas storyline, and also the Jackie Remy storyline, because I feel mm-hmm. like it's hard to separate them because they're kind of all revolving around similar, you know, they kind of yeah. all weave in and out of each other. <laughs> So at the time that kind of Frank is once again trying to orchestrate, you know, continued uh, distance between Tusk and President Garrett, Lucas is being interrogated um, at the CIA or wherever, and they want to cut him a plea deal so that way he gets off with less time. I'm not sure. I don't remember them saying exactly what the terms of the plea deal are, but Lucas is not interested, which is also something I didn't necessarily foresee. He still thinks that he has some kind of truth that he could get out there. Um, so he wants to talk to Tom Hammerschmidt once again, which was yep. the editor of the Herald before him, who Zoe forced out. Right. Uh, he wants people to hear the truth, which he apparently is going to him. Tom's going to help him get out there. Uh, once again, third kind of plotline in the meantime um, is Frank and Remy's. Well, and I mean, it's not really a third plotline because it involves Frank and Tusk. But Remy comes to Frank's house as an emissary for Tusk. And wants to know what Frank's objective is with this kind of stubbornness with China. Because really, it doesn't make sense for the United States, all these back channels Frank's doing. But the funny thing about all this, of course, is that Frank is engineering all of this simply to win a feud with Tusk versus anything that would like be beneficial the for the United States. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess maybe in his mind, he's helping the country by getting president garrett out of tusk's grip but right. still it's like it's not in the short term interest of all these yeah. people who are suffering from this energy crisis yeah um and so frank says something you know stubbornness is far more costly than obedience i think is what the line frank feeds to remy um, but the same could be said for frank too here you know like yeah he won't budge either. He, you know, he's being just as stubborn. And if him and Tusk work together, maybe they would. T- I mean, Frank doesn't like to share power. You know, no. I mean, with Claire, it's one thing because they kind of have different domains of power. But right. certainly, anybody else that he interacts with, he needs to be the head honcho. And so, I think that he doesn't like the fact that obviously Tusk has the equal weight with the president. And so, it's all just a personal feud. Uh, I think it's even something that Tusk brings up later when he visits. But we'll talk about that then. Um, interesting moment we have of kind of uh, humanity for Frank or a little bit uh, like insight into his insecurities when he's pitching in the backyard to meet him, which I thought was an awesome scene. I loved it. Because uh, he's going to do this opening pitch for the Baltimore Orioles game. Um, and <coughs> Frank tells Meacham this embarrassing story about when he threw like he, some, you know, single A game in Gaffney years ago when he was just like a state senator or something where he basically – 
not only did he botch the pitch, but he like threw it straight up in the air and hit him on the head, which is pretty embarrassing <laughs> considering like it's so embarrassing. Kind of ridiculous. Um, but he has this intimate moment with Meacham, which I thought was is kind of funny how I mean, and we kinda of saw that earlier with Meacham getting him the gift when, mm-hmm. you know despite what Stamper said and he kinda of has this connection with Meacham, you know, they're kinda of buddies now. Totally. So, I was gonna say what do you yeah, what are you making of it? It's a kind of a to me it almost seems like a father son type thing in a way. It is a little bit. It is a little bit of a father son thing. And he has I mean, he trusts Meacham too. Mm-hmm. You know, he trusts him with these intimate stories and stuff like that. Right. So I mean, more so than he does with Stamper, who he has just a you know, business relationship with and I mean, he kind of interacts the same way he almost does with Claire, like a little bit more open honesty, which is, mm-hmm. I thought it was, it was cool to see because, you know, we're so used to seeing the fake facade of Frank. Correct. Now. Yeah. I love that they're drinking beer, too. Yeah. Oh, it's so all-American. It's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> and cool. And it's, re- it's not even regulation, and he ends up breaking the pot when yeah. he makes a bitch, and they say, like, they're in a collaboration, like, let's not tell the second lady, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like they're little schoolmates, you know? I wanted to hang out with them, definitely. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was a cool scene. So, Lucas is recruiting Tom Hammerschmidt to do some reporting for him, to publish this article for him that seems to basically accuse Frank of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I put, like, will Tom Frank- be Frank's new opponent, or what's well, going on here? Which I I, I wasn't I didn't think so because I haven't been very yeah, impressed no with what we've seen time so far. But I was like, is that a new possibility? We're always looking for Frank's new opponent. Um, but Lucas is basically trying to yeah enlist Tom to do this this extra work for him. So, um, Frank and the president are trying to at, at the same time. Uh, back to the energy crisis. Think of a way around the nuclear lobby to screw Tusk, as we talked about before. Um, once again, still doesn't make sense to me with all these different subsidies and things. Does it? Does it make any more sense to you? Or yeah, they not... need it. They they need the samarium for the uh, power plants. Is it for the nuclear power plants? Or yeah, is it... to support the grid. Okay. Um. So they, you know, Frank's trying to manipulate once again, uh, and he also, but it kind of, I'm, I'm not even sure if Frank's aware of this. Remy and Jackie are having dinner at this expensive restaurant. And Remy's trying to dissuade Jackie from proposing some amendment. Um, and I think it's it's the amendment for Frank that would allow the president to go around for Sumerium. Is that what they're proposing? Oh, I don't – yeah, I don't remember that. But I, I remember he's trying to, yeah, dissuade her, but I did, could not tell you. So I think he's that. trying to dissuade her of doing something for Frank. Um, and – you know, he she's asking him a little bit about you know his time with Frank, and he talks about it very poorly. So you know, you kind of see Jackie getting a little bit of insight into maybe the person Frank really is. You know, Remy's providing that. Remy seems is one of the people who actually has seen. He's one of the few people who has seen Frank for who he really is, but doesn't seem to have lost power afterward. So I think that makes Remy still very dangerous to Frank because yes. He knows a lot of secrets, and he know how Frank. He knows how Frank works. He knows how Frank works, and he still has a lot of power. Yep. Um, which we see when he, you know, tips the waitress with a ton of money. Yeah. Um, and he happens, he can be manipulative too when him and Jackie end up going home and sleeping together. Yeah. Well, Jackie's like, you should go for that girl. And he's like, no. Nah. Yeah, exactly. And so he, it, <coughs> is there a relationship? I mean, you might know this now, but when you first saw this, is their relationship authentic or do you think one of them is using the other one? I it's thought hard it was... to. 
Yeah, I thought it was sincere when I first saw it. But it was it's hard to know. I mean, it's their first hookup, so you don't really know. But the way she treated it the morning after, I thought it was just a genuine, like, physical boning. <laughs> well, I think my problem is it's hard to invest in any real relationships here just because we've become so cynical about the relationships in oh, politics yeah. and DC. Totally. It's like, who isn't always, you know, who isn't using someone else constantly? You know, you think back to Zoe and Frank's really gross sexual relationship that was basically a metaphor for that. Yep. Um, so it's hard for me to believe it, but maybe maybe their relationship has some purity to it, and I'm curious to see whether or not it's something that ca- is carried on. Um, otherwise, I don't know why they would do it if it's not something that, you know, why they would show that to us unless it's something that comes up again. Right. So it kind of makes you wonder if Remy is going to turn Jackie against Frank a little bit. Because we were wondering maybe if Jackie could be, you know, with her... Right. More of a good per- kind of positive crusader attitude could be an opponent to Frank, but especially if she's backed by someone who knows about Frank, who has power like Remy, the two of them together could be pretty solid opponents against Frank. Yeah, they could be dangerous for Frank, definitely. So an interesting coalition there. Um, yeah, so that was a whole interesting scene. Uh, of course, we see Frank at Freddy's. And I was kind of wondering, what does Freddy's represent for Frank? You know, we see Frank, you know, what we kind of talked before in the last episode about what the window represents for Frank and Claire. We've talked about that multiple times. What is the, what is, is it, is it Frank's connection to his roots? Is it his... Uh, well, we know he loves ribs, <laughs> so maybe it's true. In the most, yeah, well, in the most basic sense, yes. But also it's his one thing completely removed from anything political. Like, it's it's where his office doesn't touch you know i mean it, that's true it does mm-hmm. but like you know what i mean it's it's his one place where he's not it's his it's his see. escape that's yep. a good point it's yep. kind of his escape it's also kind of his vice but it's not yeah. such a bad vice to have he's <laughs> right. not gonna get in trouble for that but it's yeah it's kind of his escape it's you know even the building the way it's like all the windows are boarded up and stuff it's kind of like shielded from the world it's his private place right. that's an interesting i like that um but I like Freddy has been awesome this season with all the, like these sound clips we get from him. I think he says he's talking about the heat here, and he says something about how the heat brings out the animal in all of us. Mm. It's just he's he's Pretty been full awesome. of great, great quotes back to yeah. like that speech he gives Frank in that earlier episode about the Oof. slow slaughter of the Oof. hogs. Yeah, yep, that was intense, man. That was excellent. Um, so after that conversation, we see back Frank trying to convince the president not to deal with Tusk. Uh, you know. At the same time, the president's saying, you know, we have to do what's best for the American people. This is not a pissing contest. It can't be like, you know, a gr- a grudges constantly, which is the first little bit of, well, not the first, but it's, I mean, we've seen a little bit more clarity from the president in the past couple episodes. Last mm-hmm. episode with him being pissed at both Frank and Tusk and hanging up on both of them was kind of the first sign. And once again, we kind of see him chastising Frank and without Tusk being <sighs> Tusk a little bit. So I don't have a whole lot of respect for him, but a slightly more since he, like, it, Frank is almost inadvertently pushing him toward being more free thinking. You know, he's not only pushing him away from Tusk, but he's pushing him away from himself. I feel like a little bit more. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, he's coming. He, yeah, he's. I think he's distancing himself while he figures it out ultimately. Mm-hmm. So while the president kind of tries to figure this out, uh, we know that Tom is doing a really thorough job reporting into Lucas's story. Yes. He tries to reach Janine, um, but it gets Stamper and the FBI concerned. It seems like they must have Tom under surveillance or bugged or something like that. Yeah, certainly. So he discusses it with Frank, and Frank wants to talk with Tom face-to-face. Yep. So Tom comes in and lets Frank read the article, which is 
a journalistic no-no, first yeah, of all. You don't, I, like, I would never do that. But once again, I think that the problem with the article is that so much of it is on hearsay. That yep. maybe that's, like, it's not your traditional, it's, you know. For, Tom even says that to Lucas later, that it's a hard thing for him to, pu- how could you even publish something like that when so much of it is theory and they have so little fact to base anything on? It would be slander. It would be defamation. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he brings it to Frank, is just to kind of gauge his reaction to it. Yeah. Um, less than to actually, you know, show him it before he publishes. Because you kind of get the idea that, I mean, and Tom even says this to Lucas later, that he's never going to publish. Right. Um, but, you know, you see Tom kind of probing in more astute ways than Lucas, certainly, when he's ta- asking about Rachel and about Roy Kapiniak from last season um, and how they just disappeared. And he straight out asks Frank to his face if he killed Russo or Zoe, which I did not think Frank saw coming, which was no. kind of an awesome moment for that Tom. That was I fucking was, awesome. It was really cool. And I don't like uh, Tom, but that was cool. I, I, I said to myself, like, what balls, Tom? That was badass. You yeah. are, like, good for you for being the reporter that yeah. Lucas never was. Because, like, maybe if Tom had been, you know, really committed to this in the first place, he would have a much more solid factual case against Frank. But he also has better morals than Lucas, so I don't think he would go and have done that whole ethics, you know, the computer Illegal hacking, hacking. hacking to begin with. Deep web. <laughs> And so I, I, I don't know. I thought that was crazy, but then you know, he basically tells Tom that that's ridiculous, and you know, yeah, I do think that Frank was a little taken aback, but he recovers quickly and says, you know, you have no evidence for anything, which is true. He doesn't have yeah. any evidence for anything. So um, Frank tells Stamper after Tom leaves, basically to put it to bed, and he's not real clear. And this is what I was almost wondering: if Frank is telling Stamper that like Rachel needs to go. She is a loose end that we need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So that's what made me think that maybe Frank is wants to tie up Rachel one way or another. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Now, the FBI comes in the meantime to talk to Janine up at her place in Syracuse, Ithaca, one of those, um, and ask her questions about Lucas. And, you know, they bring up the photos of Zoe that she received, which, by the way, um, they had found in Lucas's possession as a further means to indict him. Yeah. Um, and they want her to sign her name, basically, to this paper that says, you know, Lucas is crazy, I don't believe anything he says. And threaten, basically, taking her away and leaving her poor mother who can't take care of herself all alone in, in yep. Syracuse. Yep. Um, or but Janine gets pretty, or wherever. <laughs> Um, but she gets, Upstate. you know, you're not really sure whether or not, you know, she's going to fold to the intimidation. Because, um, you know, she's been, she's she says before that she's, been, she's tough and she's been faced with this kind of stuff before. <laughs> Excuse me. But what we end up finding out, of course, and let's wrap up with this whole thing about Lucas. Tom and Janine are at the jail. Lucas is reading the article through the glass. Mm-hmm. And Lucas is not very pleased with the article. But Tom says, it's the best I can do. It's the best I can make you look. And yep. he just tells Tom to get the hell out of there. He wants to talk to Janine. Yep. So he talks to Janine and basically accuses Janine of lying to the FBI uh, or CIA or whatever. Um, and of basically being too weak and a fold into him. And she says, you know what? You need to take the plea. I didn't take have any plea. other choice. You were going to get screwed regardless. And I couldn't afford to lose yeah. And so and you did an illegal thing, dude. You did and something he did. illegal. He did. He did. And that was his biggest mistake was falling for that whole yep. hacker thing. Uh instead of sticking to his guns. And so 
he says to Janine, he's going to get me, he's going to get away with it, isn't he? And Janine nods. And I think that's, yeah. I almost, it felt to me like that was kind of the punctuation, that was the, like the punctuation mark on that yep. story. It was like, he's going to get away with it. They don't have anything. And it was his own fault for doing something illegal and getting caught. He wasn't more careful. And basically he walked right into the trap. So I kind of feel like we signed off on Lucas a little bit. Curious to see if that's the case. Lucas signed off for the most part. Janine signed off. Tom's out. Zoe's out. The whole Washington Herald and slug line are done. Yeah. So, yeah. So that whole the whole Wrapped journalism there. side of it is kind of kind of gone for now. Yeah. So it, we'll see if they come well, back in. Yeah. I mean, journalism still. I think I'm not. No spoilers here, but it's still incorporated. But we just find maybe more competent people later on. Yeah. Oh well, that's good. One can hope. That's about that one. There's, you can only go up from here. right? They're competent in the beginning, and then they're ridiculous or something. No, no, I, I, I'm not saying that from that's what happens. I'm just saying that's how they do any adversary. Yeah. Sure, exactly. Yeah, they always, of course, they always crumble. Um, <clears throat> so back at Frank's house, Tusk actually comes to visit in person. Frank accuses Tusk of deliberately keeping energy rates high, and Frank basically delivers an ultimatum to Frank and says, you know, it's either the subsidies. Uh, you accept these subsidies or we're going to go around you, basically, I think. I'm, once again, trying to understand this whole situation. Um, and they argue, basically, over who's who they're protecting the president from because it both seems like they're protecting the president from each other. Exactly. And Tusk even brings up, like, so is this all about the original Secretary of State nominee or position that you didn't get? Which part of us almost feels like, yeah, this is yeah, all about is. that. Like, Frank <laughs> is still just pissed that he didn't get Secretary of State. And maybe yep. if he had just gotten that originally from Garrett, he would have been satisfied. But now he has to go and absolutely kill everybody and get Everyone. to the top yep. for being slighted in that way. And so you can't help but feel like, you know, Tusk has a little bit of a point there. <laughs> um, so Frank is at the baseball field about to pitch. I love pitch. this whole He's series. very very stressed about it. He's wearing Kevlar, which is like, no one told me I was wearing Kevlar, damn it. This yeah. is going to make it really even more difficult. He's very nervous, which I like to see because we just don't see Frank nervous very often. Yeah, it was. Um, I love the scenes I, at the ballpark, too. It's so cool. And I like the idea, too, of the physical feats make him vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's very... Right. Which is an interesting point, you know, originally harking back to the... You know, Frank is supposed to be representative of this character, Richard III, from Shakespeare. And Richard III is a mastermind of manipulation, but he's also a cripple. And obviously Frank is no cripple, but it kind of makes you – it kind of fits in with, like, him not being necessarily – Yeah, not being physically gifted in that sense or athletically gifted. Right. Fits into that kind of genesis of that character. Yeah. So he's feeling vulnerable, is about to go out on the field to pitch, waves, is getting ready on the mound. Power goes out. Citywide blackout. Uh, How convenient, right? Thanks, Raymond Tusk. So, President's on the phone with Tusk, asking if this was intentional, and Tusk is just kind of shrugging it off, saying, you know, we had to do it because we were low on energy. And the President's very skeptical of Tusk at this point. Yeah. Uh, Frank is trying to push the President to have the U.S. government take over Tusk's plant so that way they can't shut down, because basically Tusk is threatening additional blackouts all across the country that are going to get more people pissed off at the President for not making some energy deal. Right. Um, No President since this, since way back... With Woodrow Wilson, I think, or something like that. It was like way back like in history during a wartime thing. Like Basically, there's no real precedent for this particular type of energy crisis, the government intervening in the public or private sector. Um, so it would be a really big deal. Now, 
uh, the president basically falls for. I think he he goes, he he takes takes Frank's word on this, and he takes over the plants, right? And Frank and Tusk have a meeting at Freddy's, um, and Frank reveals that this is before this happens, and Frank reveals that this was about. Tusk's it wasn't that the whole problem with Tusk is about Tusk's backstabbing um back uh, I think it was like the second episode where like him and Tusk and Frank almost were making a deal and then Tusk basically trash talked Frank to the president um and I think that Frank reveals that this was like part of why he's not making deals with Tusk anymore and Frank tells Tusk that he doesn't benefit from their relationship, this partnership, any longer. You know, neither one of us is going to keep up a partnership that doesn't work for us. And so he's giving him up. And Tusk says something about, you know, this being an irreversible mistake. So we basically know that I think at this point, Tusk and Frank are no longer, there's nothing that they're going, I think from this point forward, they're not going to achieve a deal of any kind, it seems like to me. It's like they're. Right, Frank even says well, this never was a partnership to me anyway. Right, they've, they're finally being blunt and talking candidly about their dislike for each other and how they're not going to be partners. Instead of, it's nice to see them talking face-to-face a couple times in this episode versus talking through the president, on a, you know, trying to coerce each other. And what did you think of this last conversation? Did it seem like Frank came out with the upper hand? Um, I think Frank got what he wanted um, I, to see... Now, now they're obviously like on opposite sides of the court, and the line is clearly drawn. Um, and Frank wanted the president to at least be able to now choose who he wants to work with, as opposed to listening to both of them equally. Um, so I don't know if he has the upper hand yet, but it's in place. The, the 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 pieces are all in place for Frank to now go in for the kill and try to win the president over on his side, and then obviously ultimately take him down. Yeah. What do you think? I think that it, it seems as if Frank is setting Tusk up for kind of the ultimate kill shot here, kind of. You know? Um, I, oh, I th- did I have an additional note here? I, I felt like Frank came out of that conversation on top. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I had a note on that somewhere, but maybe I... I, I wish Tusk was a little meaner and tougher because he's still kind of a softy in a way. Like, mm-hmm. his passive-aggressive way of just turning off the energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he... I mean, Frank is some in some ways similar in that, obviously, he's always working through manipulation and proxy and stuff like that, too. But Frank does seem more callous than Tusk does. Yeah. I mean, T- Tusk is put out, you know disappointed when the president hangs up on him in the last episode like i thought we were friends yeah and it's a little more frank, altruistic frank never has any illusions uh, illusions about you know people being <clears throat> friends it's all about you know how one person can benefit from another and so i think that frank's realistic realist view is a little bit um puts him in a dominant yeah. position when facing Tusk and so it'll be interesting to see in the next episode what happens when the government takes over Tusk's plants and what kind of backlash happens I feel like that'll be a tough relationship for the president and Tusk to then reconcile too right um, I agree so I think that'll be interesting to see um, through all that I, I I kind of enjoyed the interaction between Rachel and Stamper because I do like theorizing about what's going on with Stamper mm-hmm. um, I really I really liked the scene the baseball scenes uh, yeah. Frank and Meacham getting closer um, 
in the backyard pitching. Me too. Um, the, you know, at the baseball, like seeing that kind of Frank's vulnerability, I really liked that. Did don't really like where things are going with Claire and Christina because that doesn't make sense to me yet. I'm hoping it will. Mm-hmm. And once again, a lot of really confusing stuff going on between Frank and Tusk. I'm hoping that slows <laughs> down, or at least like not so many like phone calls and political maneuvering, you know. Uh, but that's just my opinion. So I think overall I'm going to give this episode, again, three and a half like last episode. Uh, that's what, what I was going to give it too, three and a half. These both kind of, like there were some great parts and then there were some parts where I'm like, okay, come on. Like, yeah, exactly. like the Claire-Christina thing, it kind of annoys me because Christina is one of our better characters who we like. We like yeah. her. So it just it doesn't follow yet. Um, right. So hoping hoping it will because yeah, this doesn't make much sense to me. And the the whole wrap up of all the work Lucas did just to get him in prison with and nothing to show for it, like that. that oh was, yeah, no payoff there. Kind of felt like a big letdown. Even that if it too. would have a small payoff, it would have been great. I know. I I, I liked how Tom um, was so ballsy to Frank. And yes. I kind of I hope that maybe he somehow sticks with it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I yeah. think that, that that's like the end of Lucas, and it's kind of like, well, what was the point of that whole thing? Like, right. If it was so easy to catch him and for him to get screwed, I guess it was just once again showing us how strong Frank is. But I feel like we didn't need to see that again. We've right. seen it so many times, you know. So anyway, yeah, so another solid seven. Um, yeah. Not not great, but not bad. Right. Uh, hoping that we get a, a, some, you know... I have a feeling we'll have some really perfect episodes coming up. There's the there's future. there's some stuff that's going to happen that's going to be pretty incredible. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely <laughs> looking forward to that then. Uh, on that note, um, everyone, thanks, thank you for joining us. Chris, where can people find more of your work this week? Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I am at Chris Husted. Chris with a K. Tyler, you I'm, have those. I am on both as well, at TJMoss11. Once again, everybody, thanks for joining us. Check us out on Facebook, This American Horror Story Pod. Or, sorry, This House of Cards Podcast. <laughs> I did that twice this episode. Yeah. And um, finally, uh, check us out on iTunes, This House of Cards Podcast. We really appreciate your reviews, your ratings, your critiques. Uh, brings more people to the uh, conversation with us. And, um, yeah, it, it, we really appreciate that. Once thanks again, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I don't want to be your friend. I just wanna be your love